Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. So, again, diving back into the book of Acts, and we left off really last week with um, the Apostle Paul and this man named Barnabas, and really the Apostle Barnabas, and I'll talk about that more in this message. They were preaching in this place called Antioch of Syria. And from Antioch of Syria, they went to different places around that region, around that area, and they were beginning what was what we know as Paul's first missionary journey. He was sent out from his home church, excuse me, in Antioch of Syria, and he went to Antioch of Pisidia, and he preached the gospel there. And from there, he went all over the place preaching the gospel. And so we're at the, the middle, really, of his missionary journey. So that's where we find ourselves. Of course, last week, we talked about what the gospel is and how to hear it. The week before that, we talked about what the gospel is and how to preach it. But today we're going to take a little bit of a a turn as we get into Acts chapter 14 because we're going to see some things that we desperately need as believers today. A conviction of our heart that we need to have in the day and time that we live in because if we do not have this conviction, we will be tossed to and fro. If we do not have this conviction, we will do a great injustice to the world that needs to hear the truth. And so we're going to unpack that in this chapter. So let's get to Acts chapter 14, verse 1. And it says this, the same thing happened in Iconium. Now, I'm going to come to that, come back to that in a moment. The same thing, what? What was the same thing? Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Gentiles became believers. The same thing that they're talking about is, again, Paul and Barnabas were going around preaching the gospel, but they were going to these Jewish synagogues. That's where we left off last week in Pisidia. They were preaching in the, they would go to a synagogue that had a normal church service, and in their normal church Jewish synagogue service, you had Jewish people there, and you had these God-fearing Gentiles. They were people who made the decision that God, the God of the Jews, is the one true God. But they didn't go all the way in being fully converted and and being um, uh, circumcised in order to become a Jew. And so, but they were coming to the synagogue and they were going through the same motions that the Jews were going through. Now, we see Paul and Barnabas would show up at these places because Paul was a rabbi. And because he was a rabbi, there would be a moment in these synagogues where they would give a guest speaker or a guest rabbi a moment to share something. And Paul would take this moment in order to preach the gospel to these Jewish people who didn't recognize that Jesus was Lord. So that was their kind of missionary strategy. But now things are about to change because they start off in Iconium doing the exact same thing, which is about 90 miles east of um, Antioch of Pisidia where they were. So they start off doing the same thing, but then God changes their plans. Because they were used to preaching to people, even though they were preaching to Gentiles, they were preaching to people who had the same understanding about God that they had. But God is getting ready to put them in a position to share with people who have a completely different mindset than them. Now, this also says that they preached with such power that a great number basically was converted. Another translation says, 
they preached in such a way. That means you can preach in such a way to have a positive effect and you can preach in such a way to have a negative effect. See, how you preach to people is vitally important. How you share Jesus with people is vitally important. How you represent Jesus is vitally important. Because you can have an incredible message and the messenger be horrible. You can have the most important message the world has ever heard, and we do. But the problem is a lot of times many of the messengers aren't living the same message that they're preaching. A lot of times the messengers are, are they're clothing it in such a way that it's more offensive because of how they say it than the offense of the actual message. I want you to know something. This is not in my notes, but I want you to hear this. The gospel is offensive. And you need to know that. The gospel message, the message of what Jesus did on the cross for us is offensive. Why? Because at the forefront of the gospel message is we are sinners and we are far apart from God. That is not a message that the world wants to proclaim. That is not a message that people want to hear. So the gospel itself is offensive enough to us without having someone be unnecessarily offensive in their preaching of the gospel. There are people who stand out with signs. I remember I was in college in Hammond, and I, there was a, a group of people who would come ever so often, and they would hold up signs in the, the courtyard area of our college, and the signs were saying things like, you need, you're going to hell, repent now. And they would yell at young ladies and call them all kind of ungodly names in the name of helping them get saved. That's a horrible witness. That is a horrible, horrible witness. So take note in how you preach this gospel. Take note in how you represent this gospel. Now on the flip side of that, you also have the people who will tell everybody what they need to do, but they themselves don't live it. And they compromise on every front. And then they tell people how they should come with them to church or how they should serve Jesus. And that person is looking for an example of it in them, but they don't find it. So take note in how you preach this message. Verse two, some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. Now, oftentimes one of the greatest hindrances to the gospel is religious people. I'm gonna say that again. Sometimes one of the greatest hindrances to the gospel is religious people. I don't mean godly people. I don't mean people with a sincere heart. I'm talking about people who are just flat out religious and mean and hypocritical. Church, we are not that kind of church. We're not that kind of church. We're not the kind of church that when someone comes in who's lost and they're looking for hope that we're going to look at them and immediately judge them. That is not us. The church, as I said before, is a hospital for the hurting, for the broken, for those who are sick. That's all right. Y'all don't have to talk back. I'm going to keep going anyway. How do you treat people who are looking for hope? How do you, not us as a church, how do you treat people who are looking for hope? 
How do you treat people who've made horrible mistakes in their life who need to be picked up and have a sincere desire to want to be picked up? Do we judge them? Do we make them jump through the hoops or do we show them the grace and the love that Jesus showed us? Thank you for that, amen. Let's keep going. All right, verse three. But the apostles stayed there a long time. I love, I love this. The apostles stayed there a long time preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miracles, signs, and wonders. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Two very important statements that were made there that I want you to grasp. Number one, they stayed there a long time preaching boldly. Number two, the people were divided in their opinions about them. What am I saying? Here you have these apostles staying in a community where they're not liked. They're staying in a community where you had a group of people who were constantly criticizing them, criticizing the message that they were preaching, telling everybody what's wrong with them. And yet they stayed. And not only did they stay, they preached which meaning, meaning they didn't shut up, they kept talking. And not only did they keep talking, they preached the word of God boldly in a place where they were criticized. They proclaimed this message while people were talking bad about them. Now, what I find unbelievably tragic is we live in a day and time where popular opinion can silence truth. We live in a day and time where we care, we are literally held captive, not by gunpoint, but what someone's gonna say on an online platform. That's the culture in which we live in. Not even, listen, not even by people who we know personally, people that we may or may not know sitting behind a screen or behind a phone, could maybe hours and states away from us. We allow that to silence the voice of truth. And I'll tell you what it is. It's control. It is the control of the enemy to silence the voice of truth by popular opinion. Popular opinion. As a matter of fact, that's the title of my message today. Popular opinion. We allow the voice of truth to be silenced by what the majority of people think. And I love how Paul and Barnabas stayed in the city and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ in a place where they were being criticized, where they probably were not the most popular people in that community, yet they stayed and they boldly preached the word of God. Now, I need you to hear something. When I'm talking about truth, I'm not talking about your political views. Please hear that. I am not talking about what your political side, no matter what side you are on, thinks or says and that you may or may not even believe to be true, but because you've aligned yourself with such, you, believe, you, you act like that is the only truth that is truth. I'm talking about God's truth that supersedes our political views. I'm talking about God's truth that calls sin, sin that calls men and women everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to God. That's what I'm talking about. The truth that there's only one God who calls us to live in accordance with his word and his standard of truth. 
The God that calls us to take a stand for righteousness, that calls us to defend the life of the unborn, the God that calls us to, to that, that wants us to live with justice, not a lack of justice. A God that calls us to fight for and to, de, to defend the poor. A God that calls us to defend sexual purity and sexual morality as he defines it. That's the truth I'm talking about. The, the same Bible, and I know, uh, even as I'm saying that, some of you are picking and choosing and things that you like. God is for everything I just said. All of it. God is for defending the poor and the helpless. God is also for the standard of having the police and those in power execute his judgment in the land. That's quiet in this church. That's okay. That's okay. God is for Real justice, his justice, not the way we see justice. And if you're trying to figure out which side I'm coming from, neither. I'm coming from his word. His word. And that is not popular opinion. Guess what? God is not for popular opinion. God supersedes popular opinion and he sets his word as preeminent above the earth. It's his word. Paul and Barnabas faced these people in the town with people who did not like them. Yet they stayed and they preached the gospel to them. Now, as a side note, this may be something you've wondered before. It may not be. But this is the first verse in the Bible that ever calls Paul and Barnabas apostles. It's the first time in Scripture that they are referred to as apostles, which may... Many of you may have this question, may have asked this question before. Are there still apostles today? I heard a great preacher that I greatly look up to and learn a lot from. His name is Skip Heitzig. And Skip Heitzig once answered that question, are there apostles today? And I love his answer. Yes and no. This sounds political, doesn't it? Yes and no, maybe. No, his answer was yes and no because, and this is for you to know, yes in the sense that the word apostle basically means sent one. It's the Greek word apostolo, and it means sent one, someone who is sent. And there are people who God is still giving an apostolic ability to today to go into new cities, to go into new communities, and to establish a work that, that there's maybe nothing there in that community or nothing there in that city or nothing there in that nation even. God is still sending people with an apostolic call. And as well, there are people who are, God has used, like to use the apostle Paul to oversee churches, multiple churches, to speak into the lives of the elders and the pastors who help oversee them. Pastor Jacob Baranza is like that. He's got an apostolic gifting on his life to help oversee other churches and oversee other pastors. So in that regard, yes, there are still apostles today. But here's where the no comes in. Knowing that there are 12 apostles that were with Jesus. Of course, one was substituted, but even he was with Jesus in his earthly ministry. There were 12 apostles, capital A, and that's it. Meaning... You don't get somebody today who's a popular TV preacher who gets to write something that's as important as the Bible. It doesn't happen. There were 12 apostles that God used. 
And those 12 apostles, according to the book of Revelations, uh, book of Revelation, rather, excuse me, their, their names are written in the foundation of the New Jerusalem. It's just a side note for y'all, in case you ever wondered that. All right, verse five. Then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with the leaders, decided to attack and stone them. While the apostles learned of it, while the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Lyconia, to the town of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding area. And there they preached the good news. I want you to know this. They only left there when their lives were threatened. They were there with people talking bad about them, accusing them of stuff, everything you can mention of and slander towards them, yet they stayed. But they left when their lives were threatened. There were people there that did not receive the message, but there were people there that did. And they stayed there because of their care for God's people and their desire to see the gospel spread. And so they stayed there discipling people, nurturing people, and establishing a church. And we're going to come back to the establishing of these churches later on. But they move on after all of these accusations thrown against them, and they keep preaching. Even in the face of hardships, they keep preaching. And they go to the city called Lystra, which is about 18 miles away from where they were. Not that far. They go right down the road and start preaching again in this little insignificant city called Lystra. This is what verse 8 says. While they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been there, he'd been that way for, from birth, so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached, looking straight at him. Paul realized he had faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. So we see here Paul doing the same type of miracles that Jesus did, doing the same type of miracles that Peter did. What was that? That was God saying, I'm, I'm going to establish what your, this message that you're preaching is true, and I'm going to confirm it with signs and wonders and miracles. And something really cool that's in this that I don't want you to miss, Paul's looking at this man, and he sees that the man has faith to be healed. Why did the man have faith to be healed? Because of the message he heard. Because of the, the, the words that were being spoken were so impacting his life that it produced something in him. It produced faith in him. My question is, the things that you're listening to, is it producing faith in your life or is it producing fear? The diet that you're feeding yourself with, is it producing a trust and a confidence that God can do anything and God can move on your behalf? Or is it putting a fear in you that the world is going to pot and everything is going to go wrong and you may or may not live to see tomorrow? What are you feeding yourself? Because a lot of the message that's coming to you from the outside world is be afraid, run, this is scary, we're all going to die. And God's word is saying, you have hope, you are the light, I can use you, I can turn this around, trust me, I'm with you, I'm for you. But what are you feeding yourself? See, faith in God leads to faith in his ability to intervene in your life. 
This man didn't just have faith. He had faith that his faith, him hearing the message produced faith. Him having faith produced faith that God can intervene in his life in the very thing that he needed him to intervene in. See, the faith that we have and the things that we talk about in church, I hope you don't leave here and go, man, this was just really encouraging today. I feel really good about myself without grabbing a hold of the words that are being said that you can apply to your own life. Not only does God want to move in, in big world thing, big world events, he wants to move in your life. He wants to intervene in the thing that you care about. Don't think you're the only one who's concerned about your children. Don't think you're the only one who's concerned about your bills or your job. God's concerned about it as well. But you have to have faith that he's going to intervene in those things. See, faith leads to trust as well. And that's something Pastor Randy Dugas and I were talking about recently. Faith leads to trust. Trust is I can trust that God is going to intervene. Why? Because he's got a proven track record of doing so. Not only does his, see, when we read his word, his word gives us the faith that he can do. When we apply that faith to our life, we see him do it in our life. And that faith over time produces a trust that, you know what? God, if you were with me then, you'll be with me now. You'll be with me now. Now, Paul and Barnabas, again, they're here. And something interesting is really is getting ready to take place. Because they're preaching to a different type of person right now. They were used to preaching in the synagogues. So again, to Jewish people or to God-fearers, people who had a, a real understanding of the God of Abraham, God's, Isaac, and Jacob. They understood him. Even though they didn't know Jesus, they had at least a basic framework. Now they're preaching to pagans. They're preaching to people who don't understand or don't know anything about God. And it, so this is a break from their norm. But I want you to hear how these people respond Verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes, since he was the chief speaker. Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town. So the priest in the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. Listen to their response. Unlike with so many people in our day and time would do whenever we start to get that kind of worship and accolades, this was their response. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard what had happened, they tore their clothes in dismay and ran out among the people shouting. Now, why were the people doing this? I believe that inside of each and every one of us is a desire to worship something. Innate in us is a desire to worship. Here's the problem. We just, like, much like the people in the life story, we always worship the wrong thing. Right? There's something in us. We worship money. We worship sex. We worship ourselves. We worship celebrities. We worship all of the wrong things, except the God who actually deserves our worship. The God who actually paid the price to be worshiped. Paul and Barnabas, their response was accurate. And I want to speak on this just for a moment. Y'all humor me for a moment. We should never accept the worship 
that only belongs to Jesus. And I've talked about that before, of course, when we talked about King Herod, right? But I want to make sure, I want to draw a balance here for you. We should accept gratitude, but we shouldn't touch glory. We accept people's gratitude. I hate it, and, and I'm so guilty. I've done this before, and people say, hey, thank you for doing that, and you get this false sense of humility. No, 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 no. It wasn't me. Who else did it? We accept gratitude. You should accept gratitude. Gratitude is nothing more than a person giving an offering back to you for what you've offered to them. You give them something. That's their response and going, hey, thank you for doing that. That's when we, we get in a place of false humility, we go, ah, no, 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 I promise it wasn't me. It was you. This is how you respond to gratitude. Thank you. Thank you. But when people start looking at you as their source, that's the problem. When people start not only thanking you, but giving you praise, that belongs to Jesus. That belongs to God. I want to draw another balance on this because I want you to, to see this picture, a picture of balance. It's appropriate to show honor. We should show honor to people, especially people God calls us to honor, but we do not worship them. And we often fall in, in one, one side of the, the teeter-totter or the other, Right? God calls us to show honor. Let me just tell you, at our church, we refer to our pastors as pastor. I don't call Pastor Jacob, Jacob. That just feels uncomfortable for me even doing that, even saying that. I call him Pastor Jacob. Pastor Josh Messa is Pastor Josh Messa, not Josh Messa. I don't care if you knew him when he was 19. God has put him in your life as a pastor. We refer to our pastors as pastor. Why? Because that's honor. First, first Timothy chapter five, verse 17, Paul tells Timothy, talking about the people in the church, he says this, he says, we show the, you show the elders among you double honor. That's honor. What does honor mean? Honor is the Greek word, timi, that means value. When you honor someone, you show them appropriate value. And I've said this to people in our church, and, and some of you may, not, may even be here this morning. But I've said this to people in our church. I have to be your pastor before I'm your friend. Let me explain that for a moment. God put me in your life not to be your friend first. That may come about, but he put me in your life, and I will stand accountable to him for how I pastored you. Okay? And so that's the appropriate balance. I'm your pastor before I'm your friend. Right? So that's the, that's the value, that's the honor that we're, I'm talking about. We believe in that here. But I'll tell you, the other extreme of that is this, the worship of men. And you can easily fall on the scale of worshiping people. That's not honor. That's not honor at all. That's dysfunction. We do not worship men. Pastors are not celebrities. We're servants. We're called to serve the body. We're not called to stand up on the stage and everybody look at you and go, you're the man of God. Yet God has called us to do that, to represent, to serve him, to represent him. But the bottom line is you show honor, but you don't show worship. 
Let me, put this, let me put it another way. If I ever preach something to you that does not come from this Bible, I am wrong and the Bible is right. I hope y'all are getting this this morning. I'm, I'm, I hope you're understanding this. Pastors are not called to be rock star celebrities. We're called to serve. But Paul and Barnabas were so grieved by these people's misplaced worship that they tore their clothes. Verse 15. This is how he responds. They were shouting this. Friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. Paul takes this moment to preach to them. He rejects their worship. But I want you to notice, he preaches to them in a different way. He didn't come quoting the Old Testament to them. Why? Because the Old Testament meant nothing to them. You've got to know your audience. If we're going to preach the gospel to people, we've got to know the type of person that we're talking to, that we're sharing with. If you go to somebody who knows nothing about God and you start preaching Bible verses to them that mean absolutely nothing to them, they're instantly going to reject it. But Paul takes the approach here. See, there's two, there's two different revelations, okay? There's, there's the scriptural revelation of who God is, but Paul, Paul leans on natural revelation. In other words, he's saying the Bible, the word of God tells us, right, the heavens declare God's glory. He's saying you should know there's a God because that God is represented in all of nature. Who do you think gives you rain? Who do you think makes your crops grow? There's a natural revelation. So men are without excuse. God has revealed himself in nature and God's revealed himself in his word. Men are without excuse. I love the way that I. Howard Marshall put it. He said this, talking about this very text. He said, the world of nature should thus have led men to recognize the existence, power, and goodness of the creator. Nature declares the glory of God. When we're sharing with people and we're trying to lead people to Jesus, if you don't know what to share, start with. I'm not saying this is the totality of it, but start with what he did for you. Start with how you were one way, you met Jesus, he changed everything, and now you're here. A man with an argument is always at the foot of a man with an experience. So share your experience with others. Let it start there as you point them to God's word, right? Ironically enough, though, we live in South Louisiana where everybody is a Christian, Ever so, you have the great opportunity to point people to the Bible because they know the Bible. They just have chosen not to honor it, not to live in it. It's important. Paul knew his audience. He knew who he was speaking to. Verse 18. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. So Paul is sitting there yelling out, we don't want your worship. We don't want this. You need to serve God. He's revealed himself. And they keep bringing sacrifices and reefs and trying to put it on him. Now, let me give you a little bit of history. Why were they doing this? 
Why were they doing this? There was actually a poem written by an ancient poet named Ovid. And in this poem, this is predating this moment. This is before this. So these people knew this poem well because this small city had this great poet write about its small city. In this poem, Zeus and Hermes come down, show up in Lystra, and they're looking for a place to, to rest. And the people all reject them except one couple. And this couple's name is Philemon and Bacchus, I believe. And they allow them to come into their home and then when they leave their home after they ate with this couple, they drown the entire city except Philemon and Bacchus. And they build this great palace for this older couple that built this home for them. Right? And so they, I believe that the, reason the people are doing this because they had this fresh in their mind. They were superstitious. And they were allowing their superstitious beliefs to block what God was wanting to do in their life. That is a side note for us as well. Don't let your superstition or even some of the things you've been taught that are anti this word stop you from receiving this word. There are things that you, mama may have taught you. Your mom and them might have believed that. But if, if it's not this word, it's probably not true. Don't let your superstitious beliefs stop you from receiving what God wants to do and what God is saying. Verse 19, then some Jews, listen to this, this gets so, this is so the day and time that we live in. Don't miss this. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium, the places that they just left that were persecuting them, and won the crowds to their side. And they stoned Paul and dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. I want you to catch this. The same people that were just worshiping him stoned him. The same people that were just calling him and Barnabas a God were now stoning him. Not the stone some of y'all need to repent of. With a real stone. That, that, y'all catch that later. That's okay. It's true though. If you're doing that, you should probably repent. Okay. <laughs> They're throwing stones at him to death to try and kill him. And they thought they killed him. But I love the Apostle Paul. That's just, that is, let me stop there for a moment. That is how fickle the worship of man is. That is how fickle popular opinion actually is. They are with you today. They want to kill you tomorrow. They celebrate you today. They talk bad about you tomorrow. That is how fickle the worship of people are. What do we make of this? Don't live for the opinions of others. Don't live your life for the opinions and the praise of people because they may praise you tomorrow and they may, they may praise you today rather than they may curse you tomorrow. If we live for the praise of people, we'll die when we don't have it. If your life is based around, what do they think about me? What do they think about me? What do they think about me? Are they, do they think I'm cool? Do they think I'm acceptable? Do they think I'm, I'm, I'm worthy of all of this? Listen, if you live for that, you will die when you don't have it. The Jewish people did the same thing to Jesus. 
Within a one-week time frame, they were yelling out, Hosanna, save us, rescue us, King of Israel, King of the Jews. That same week, they were standing in front of Pilate yelling, crucify him. Same people. The same people. This world is controlled by popular opinion. But here's the truth. Popular opinion will change. What is popular opinion today was not popular opinion 100 years ago. And it won't be 100 years from now. It is ever evolving and it's ever changing. And when it comes time, if you live your life for popular opinion, when that popular opinion changes, you have to ask yourself, what have I compromised in order to be accepted? What have I compromised in order for everyone to accept me and to think I'm whatever? What have I compromised? Because it's going to change and you won't be on the same side as the people today, tomorrow. Because their mindsets will change. And are you going to live your life being tossed to and fro? Well, we believe this now. Now we believe this. We believe this. Or are you going to base your life off of what this eternal word that has never changed says? Because it doesn't change. God doesn't change. Do we live our lives to be accepted by him for the audience of one? And do we live our lives so that everybody goes, good job. And I know there's people in here that, that you're, some of you have been in ministry before. Some of you are taking a rest from ministry. Because in ministry, I've seen it. I'm a pastor. I've seen people that I love, that I've walked with, that I've helped walk away from this church and call us any and everything but godly people. The Bible says the root of bitterness springs up and defiles many. People's opinions change. You can't live for their opinions. You have to live for what his word says. You have to live for what his word says. You have to live for the audience of one. And that one is the one who was, who is, and who is to come. It's true. And let me just speak very practically for a moment. Just y'all, y'all give me this time, please, if you don't mind. Because I'm going to anyway. <laughs> don't compromise your purity, young women for the pursuit of a man. Young men, don't compromise your convictions for the acceptance of the crowd. It's gonna change. Young ladies, his desires are going to change. Would you give up now to keep him? Someone else will give up later to gain him. Don't compromise adults Don't compromise your values in order to move higher up in your company. Don't compromise your values. Don't compromise your humility to look strong in front of people. Don't give up the truth that you know that the Bible teaches you because society tells you you have to think this way. Don't give it up. Because society tells you, we have to be inclusive and include everybody's belief system and what they, what they believe is right. That is not true. Christianity is very exclusive. Can I be honest? 
Because in order to be a Christian, you have to bow your knee to Jesus and everything that he disagrees with, you have to say it's wrong and I trust him. It is true. It's inclusive in the sense that anybody can do that. Anyone can serve God. Anyone can follow him. If you're here and you're wrestling and you're trying to figure out, do I want to do this? I'm so glad that you're here. Please keep coming. But in order to enter into his kingdom, you have to bow your knee and you have to say, he, his way is right. My way is wrong. I'm going to follow his. You have to. And that is not popular opinion. But guess what? We shouldn't care what popular opinion says. We should care what he says. Live for God's opinion. Verse 20. But as the believers gathered around, this is after they stoned this man almost to death. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into the town. And the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. They stoned this man. Some believe to death. Some believe he was raised from the dead when the believers pray. Other believe that he was just stoned and almost to the point of death. Either way, he got up and went right back into the city. You can't stop a man like that. I mean, that's like Rocky on crack. You just can't stop the guy. He's just going to keep coming. So he gets up and he goes right back into the town. But then him and Barnabas, he keeps preaching. They go 55 miles. Now, he was stoned to, almost to death or to death. And he gets them. He goes, walks probably another 55 miles in order to preach in this community called Derby. Verse 21. After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers they encourage them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer hardships, many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And I love this. They made many disciples. Their goal was not just stand up on the stage and preach to a bunch of people. Their goal was to make disciples. Disciples are disciplined followers of Christ. They were teaching people how to follow Jesus. Teaching them. Making disciples. And I've said this before. Evangelism, which is the preaching of the gospel, without discipleship is child abuse. You bring these new babies of the faith in, but you don't teach them how to live it. That's child abuse. They made disciples. And on their way back, they stop in the places that they preached. And they nurtured the believers. And they strengthened the believers. They were establishing them in the faith. Some of you in this place are new believers. You need to be established in the faith. For those of you who've been serving God for a while, you need to help establish them in the faith. Because they need it. It's easy. Everybody can clap and go, yeah, that's right, pastor. When pastor's preaching, they don't disciple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't disciple all these new people. I need you who are established in the faith to help me establish them in the faith. Our job as the church is to make disciples. So Paul and Barnabas are there and this is what they're doing. They're establishing them in the faith. They're teaching them how to stand for truth because Paul and Barnabas are now leaving. 
And these believers are going to have to live in these places where there's hostility towards the gospel. Many of the books that you read in the New Testament are Paul writing to churches like this, that he started, that he's been persecuted, and now they're there being persecuted. And he's teaching them how to live the faith out in these places that are hostile to them. He's teaching them how to stand for truth. Church, we live in a difficult time. We're called to stand for truth. We are. Verse 23, Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church. They appointed leadership in the church. This is important for you to know. God places people in authority. They were establishing, why? Because the church needed this healthy leadership. With prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they put their trust. Then they traveled back through Pisidia to Pamphylia. They preached the word of God in Perga, then went down to Italia. I'm going to stop there for a moment and I'm going to close and pray, but I want you to see something very important that's coming up. Then they preached in Perga. If you remember, they stopped in Perga once before. This wasn't their first time on this journey to Perga, but they didn't preach the gospel in Perga because something so massive that would alter and change Paul's ministry for the rest of his life happened in Perga. And it's something I've been hinting at for the last probably three weeks that happened in Perga. How many of you want to know what that is? Next time I preach, I'm going to tell you. (laughs) To be continued. Verse 26, I'm closing. Finally, they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria, where their journey had begun. The believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work they had now completed. Upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together and reported everything God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. And they stayed there with the believers for a long time. Paul and Barnabas This is the completion of their first missionary journey. And I love how the Bible says when they were done, they completed what God put in front of them. Church, I want us to complete what God put in front of us to do. I want to stand before him and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You didn't quit when it was tough. You didn't give up. You didn't tuck tail and run. You didn't let popularity go to your head and you didn't let being unpopular stop you from the mission I called you to. Good and faithful servant. I want that for each and every one of us. Please close your eyes and we pray for you. Father, I pray for your people. I pray, God, that just like Paul and Barnabas, we would, we would live our lives, we would live our journeys Lord, not living by people's opinion, not letting that be our driving force, not letting what society says that's ever changing, whose opinion is always changing, but we base our lives in your word. And I pray you give us, even in these difficult times in which we live, the grace to finish well, to bring hope when people need hope, to speak truth when people need truth, to extend love when people need love, to show show grace when people need grace. But to be the salt when this world's lost its flavor, to be the light when this world is covered in darkness, to point people to your standards of righteousness. 
Help your church be the light you've called us to be. If you're here this morning and with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, you hear me talking about Jesus' sacrifices that he's made for us and bowing our knee to him as Lord in order to follow him. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I may have prayed a prayer many times before. I may have been baptized. I may have been christened as a child. I may have gone through a religious process. But if I'm being honest, I'm not born again. I'm not right with God. Jesus is not the Lord of my life, but I want him to be. Today's your moment. And Jesus told even a religious man, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're first born again. How do you do that, pastor? It's as simple as ABC. It really is because Jesus did the hard part. But A, you have to admit that you're a sinner. You've got to be honest and not hide it and not run. You've got to own it. God, there's sin in my life that has separated me from you, and I know it. And B, you believe that he gave the solution to that problem when he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. And C, you confess that he is now Lord, Lord of your life you bow your knee in allegiance to him, Jesus, I'll follow you. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I want to pray that prayer. I want to be born again. With no one looking around on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand. And then I'm going to ask all of us to pray a prayer all out together. And it's simply a prayer of surrender. And he's going to meet you right where you're at. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. If you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be born again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. I see your hand back there. You can put them down. Will you pray this prayer with me? Church, just pray this prayer with every person who's, who's making that decision, who's answering that call. Say this with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go there. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I turn from my sin. I repent of my sin. And I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's celebrate with everybody that prayed that prayer.